This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the Globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. Good evening, it's World Wide Wave time. Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt. And I'm joined in the Pride Centre tonight by Alex. Hola. Now, among the 5.1 million migrant workers who are employed in Southeast Asia, little is known about the motivations or experiences of migrant workers with diverse sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions. Even less information is available on the discrimination, violence and harassment that that they may experience in the world of work. It inspired the International Labour Organisation, in partnership with UN Women, to commission a study which is titled A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, The Experiences of Migrant Workers with Diverse Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity and Expression in Southeast Asia. Emily Dwyer, the director at Edge Effect, was the lead author of the report and joins us tonight. Here's a taste of what's coming up. was one of the most profound challenges that migrant workers who are LGBTIQ people told us about because they are often isolated in the countries of destination. In a lot of these situations, they might be in dormitory situations, you know, with other workers, often from their countries of origin. They don't have much of a social circle. They don't always get to leave their their workplace. Um, And so they're sort of this sort of concentrated situation. And yeah, the other workers were sometimes often the people that were the most discriminatory. With over 5 million migrant workers in the ASEAN region, it's the equivalent of the whole of Queensland going overseas to find work. For many, it is about economic advancement, settling themselves up for a future or sustaining their family when work is challenging in their home economy. But for LGBTQ people... There are some differences, and for the first time, the International Labour Organization has looked into this issue. Emily Dwyer is the lead author of the report titled A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, The Experiences of Migrant Workers with Diverse Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity and Expression in Southeast Asia. We asked Emily what drives LGBTQ people to seek work in other countries across Southeast Asia. Well, all kinds of people in Southeast Asia... Uh, migrate for work. So there are millions of people moving around between different what we call countries of origin and countries of destination. Um, so countries of origin are often places where you know people might not have um, the same opportunities to to earn money. The jobs that are available to them might be quite limited. So they they migrate overseas in order to do work which is maybe more lucrative, more reliable, um, work of a different kind, or sometimes also just to see the world. 
LGBTIQ people are amongst those many millions moving just within Southeast Asia. But one of the things the International Labour Organization realized in over the last couple of years is that they didn't know anything about LGBTIQ people in particular and why they were moving, what the kinds of issues are that uh, maybe push LGBTIQ people out of the countries that they're in, their country of origin, and draw them somewhere else. So the ILO asked us to do a study. Um, so we looked at people whose country of origin is Cambodia, Vietnam, and the Philippines, and whose country of destination was Thailand. Well, that was the idea anyway. It doesn't work out quite as simply as that because, of course, people are going all, all, all kinds of places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the migrant workers that we spoke to in Thailand were, for example, from Myanmar. Um, people from the Philippines were going to all kinds of places, Gulf states, um, other parts of the world, as well as migration in Southeast Asia. Um, so lots of people moving around. LGBTIQ people, to, to some extent, are moving around for work for similar reasons to, to other people. You know, that their opportunities um, for livelihoods to, to earn money, to build a life in their own countries are restricted. And so they go to other countries in order to try to do something about that. What's different for LGBTIQ people, I guess, is the reasons why their lives are like that in their countries of origin um, and the kinds of experiences that they have um, in transit um, and in the countries of destination. The ILO have sort of picked this up, but why hasn't it been on anybody's radar before? That's a great question, Matt. <laughs> um, and it's one that we ask a lot. Um, because it will kind of it kind of seems to us obvious that you might want to there ask. There would be different needs. There would be different experiences. Yeah. So so the experiences of, of LGBTIQ people in countries of origin. So the, their experiences within their families, um, their experiences of discrimination at school, discrimination in the workplace. We know that these are issues, but I guess. Development organisations, be they UN agencies or INGOs or donors, generally haven't paid attention to LGBTIQ people in thinking about labour migration or thinking about pretty much any other development assistance program either. Let's talk a bit about the process mm. then. The So somebody's decided to move away from their home country what are the kind of challenges they have even before they get to somewhere to actually be able to work? In a number of the countries that we, in fact, all of the countries where, where people came from, you know, there were quite profound stories of, of marginalisation and, and discrimination. So people who had experienced violence or discrimination in their families, you know, at schools, in their workplaces, accessing public services... Yeah, so there are, there are lots of hurdles that they've already experienced as an LGBTIQ person in their country of origin. Now, for um, about 72% of the people that, that we spoke to, and we, we spoke to 147 migrant workers who are people with diverse sexual orientations, gender identities, expressions and sex characteristics, so another way of saying LGBTIQ, about 72% of them were, were travelling to other countries to be migrant workers for economic reasons. Um, because they they couldn't make ends meet, or they they couldn't achieve their goals. They felt or within to send their own countries, money back to their family because their family couldn't achieve their goals. That so that that was a that was an, an outcome um, of people's experiences in their countries of destination. Yeah. So 
of those 72% um, of, of people who travelled for economic reasons, about a bit over 60% of those people were, when they went to their countries of destination, were able to save enough money to live relatively well, but also to remit funds back to their families. And whether that was the, the, the idea or not when they started, they, they were able to do that. One of the consequences of that was that for a lot of people was that it opened up different kinds of conversations with their families. In what way? Well, part of the, I guess, the the stigma discrimination that LGBTIQ people face is from their own families is that they're considered to be failures. They're going to be burdens on the family because they're not going to be able to get jobs. They're not going to get married. They're not going to produce children. They're just... you know, they, in a heteronormative, you know, cis-normative society, they, they, we become a problem. Mm-hmm. So by going overseas and working in another country and sending money back, they were sort of able to demonstrate, well, maybe we're not going to be a burden. Maybe we can actually be, be successful and we can actually contribute some money back into the family, which is really important you know, within the countries that, that we're talking about. In some ways, it's kind of sad that you kind of have to buy a level of acceptance, if you like. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's not, it's, it's not, I guess, really what you would hope for. Um, now, in, in terms of, you know, what it would take to get love from your family. Yeah. But the reality was that people said, that, no, no, I've, I've, I've started to have conversations with my mum that I could have never had before because she was, she was worried about me or she thought I was going to be a failure or, or a burden. But now, now she sees that I'm being successful and I'm sending money back. And so the family's happier. One of the big challenges, though, was that level of acceptance and, and support going to continue once people had stopped being a migrant worker and gone back to their countries and stopped sending you know, the money back home. And for some people, the acceptance continued. You know, when, the, when they went back home, everything was still good. For other people, when they went back home, all of you know, the challenges that they had left behind all of a sudden popped up again. You know, the, the pressures to enter into a heterosexual marriage or to stop being a transgender person, all of a sudden sort of popped up again for, for some people. That's Emily Dwyer, lead author of the report, A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, with us on Joy 94.9. Amazing how much influence um, the economics can play in the family so that oh, absolutely. sending money back <laughs> changed the view of of. You know what were the words there that you're not a failure. Yes, as you as as was as was mentioned in the um, interview, they're buying acceptance. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I've heard and seen this multiple times. This um, very strong sense of obligation to family. So you know, it's something that's very. I mean, I wouldn't say it's not as relevant in Australia, but... But it's stronger you know, <clears throat> in, in a lot yes. of Asian cultures, yes. Yeah. There's absolutely not this sort of like get away from home and then you're free. Mm. It's um, There's just an ongoing commitment to... And usually it's, you know, if one or two members of the family are the ones that are chosen in a way to go work overseas, it's not like it's their ticket to freedom. It's often mm. a, it's a ticket I- to a long-term obligation to send... Um, funds back home. I wonder if that response whereby um, the, the the new conversations, sort of I guess a new acceptance is also to do with the fact that they are removed. You know, you're having a, yeah. a chat by phone, you're not seeing them every day, the neighbours aren't keeping an eye on things. I wonder if that distance also just helps in, um, you know, smoothing things over a bit. 
Yes, I'm imagining it works for both the families and for the individuals in some cases. Mm. Um, you know, despite all the, the challenges of isolation, etc. I'm sure getting away from the prying eyes of families and extended families and local community probably works quite well for some. And on the other hand, the family, as you say, the family also remove that, you know, the shame or embarrassment, um, which is a sh- which is very sad that that's still, you know, the case. But obviously, you know, hopefully over time, views change as they are seen as productive members of their families. You know, it's sad that in a way you have to sort of financially contribute to your family to get that sort Bit of, of values, but, mm. you know. So the report is called A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, and coming up, we're going to hear the story behind the name of this report. This is Worldwide Wave. The Joy Community, here for you, here together. Hello, Australia. This is Noam, Apple, and Top from Apple Models in Thailand. The world first transgender model division on Joy 94.9. Uh, we put out a call for messages around uh, experiences of LGBT people in the workplace. Uh, thank you, C. Uh, messaging from Sydney had one boss who outed them to their colleagues before they had a chance to tell anybody. It's pretty damn rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, another experience where after um, disclosing to one person that they were queer, they overheard two um, two men in the kitchen um, who were making some truly, I'm not even going to repeat them, truly no. awful, um, uh, you know, truly terrible conversation and laughing and joking about uh, C's identity. Um, uh, good on you, C, for confronting them and uh, the result was um, a, an apology from the, the manager and the director uh, and the staff member was taken aside and, and given a talking to. So I, that's the kind of thing that does make changes. Yes. When, you can stand up and say, actually, that is not acceptable. Many companies have the policies. It's a matter of enforcing them. Absolutely. Joy, 94.9. Crossing borders to seek work can be a scary experience for anybody, uh, but has become a major friction point for the LGBTIQ people, as detailed in the recent report from the International Labor Organisation called a very beautiful but heavy jacket, which talks about the experience of migrant workers uh, across Southeast Asia. The lead author was Emily DeWire from Australian company Edge Effect. We asked Emily what stories they were told about the border crossings. Yeah, it's particularly for trans people, I, I guess because... You know, our diversity of gender identity and expression is is a bit more visible, especially you know for people who are um, at different stages of of transformation or confirmation of their gender identity. It was also a bit of an issue for some gay and lesbian people whose gender expression isn't normative. So, for example, you know, a masculine presenting a lesbian, for example, um, might also be sort of harassed at the border. And I guess the, the border officials are sometimes sort of you know, looking for people who are a bit different. We often look a bit different. Um, and, and so we kind of stick out as people that, 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 could, be, that could be targets. I guess the, the challenges, especially for trans and gender diverse people, is that their passports or other identity documents don't always match their gender as they present it. Um, because in a lot of countries, you still can't get, um, you can't change um, your gender marker, marker. on your mm-hmm. passport or in, or in different identity documents. So 
when you're crossing a border, you might be presenting in a way that makes it obvious that you're a bit different. Border officials might look at you and say, oh, here's someone that we can shake down or here's someone that we They're can take advantage of. They're in power, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You're crossing a border. I mean, they've got your passport. You know, you're desperately trying to get to this other side, mm. you know, to, to, to live this new life. And you've just got to make it through. And so there, there was one story, for example, a trans woman was taken into an office and the, the border official said, hi, you know, are you a trans person? They said, yes, I am. And then he, he asked, he asked her for uh, for sexual favours in order to get her passport back and to right. cross the border. And luckily someone knocked on the door, someone else had to come into the room to do some other kind of business for someone else crossing the border. And so that situation stopped and the person was able to escape and cross the border. But that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. So in some cases it is verbal harassment, um, but sometimes it was, you know, you know, profoundly challenging and horrible, you know, um, sexual abuse. Um, not everyone experienced that. In fact, lots of LGBTIQ people hide the fact that they're LGBT. They do everything they can to hide that you know, when they're crossing the borders. And so trans people would sometimes, you know, uh, you know cross-dress, if you like, or, or you know, detransition in, in order to cross a border um, so that they didn't draw just attention to themselves easier. just because it made it easier. And even if they've got a job to go to, in a lot of these countries, they're quite often lower-paid jobs. They quite often live communally with other migrant workers. What's the experience like there for an LGBT person? Because I was imagine if you've experienced that discrimination at home and you're living with people who've come from that same place, there's going to be a bit of that as well. Absolutely. It was one of the most profound challenges that that migrant workers who are LGBTIQ people told us about because they are often isolated in the countries of destination. So as you say, we are talking about people who, who are low-wage migrant workers. Um, so, you know, they're not, they're not going somewhere to do IT work or, you know, to, to work in the banking sector or something. They might be going to, to, to work in agriculture or building construction or service industries, uh, manufacturing um, adult entertainment. I mean, there's lots of different sectors that people go into. In a lot of these situations, they might be in dormitory situations, you know, with other workers, often from their countries of origin. They don't have much of a social circle. They don't always get to leave their their workplace, um, and so they're sort of this sort of concentrated situation. And yeah, the other workers were sometimes often the people that were the most discriminatory, um, calling them names, um, threatening to rape them. One example was of a Tom, someone that we might think of as a masculine presenting lesbian, and they were working on a building site, largely with other men, um, and the dormitory situation was one where this person was also living with, with other men. And so one of the men, you know, at one point got drunk and threatened to, to rape this migrant worker, um, and then another time actually tried to do it. Um, the, story, the story they told was that they gave this guy a, a sharp kick in the in the in the balls, and that that, that, that stopped him. That's that stopped him. Um, but the challenge is that in that situation you have to defend yourself. Mm. So there's there are no support organisations. You know there may not be any other LGBTIQ people around you, and so you're kind of left to fend for yourself. And one of the things that people told us that they would do is that rather than reporting violence or, or harassment, rather than trying to get any support from 
a migrant worker service provider, NGO, or from a union, they would just stay quiet. Because if the feeling was that if they reported examples of harassment or violence, it would just make things worse. I mean, partly because they would have to probably explain that they're an LGBTIQ person. So all of a sudden you have to come, you sort of coming out in order to explain what's, what, what's happened. And then there's the fear that, you know, police might then, you know, again, see you as an come easy target you, yeah. and come, come down on you. Or um, an employer. I employer assume, might yeah. say, look, this is drama I don't need. This is, this is too hard. I don't really care about you. I can find someone else to work here. So I'm going to cancel your visa or agreement to work here. And then you know, either you become undocumented or you, you have to go home. I'm intrigued by the name, a very beautiful but heavy jacket. Where did that come from? That came from a, a Vietnamese bisexual man who was doing migrant work. And that was, that was his description, I guess, of, of, the, of the pressure that, that he felt under. The being an LGBTIQ person, I know that, that there's, there's something special something that helped him make sense of the world, but something that he couldn't show other people. Is it a weight on his shoulders? A weight on the shoulders. Mm. And, you know, he described a, a situation where, you know, he was uh, working, I, I think, in a factory um, and, and, again, in a situation where there was dormitory housing, so um, largely with other men. There was one other man, a, a man from Bangladesh, and he wasn't sure whether that man identified as, as gay or was um, more as a, as a man who has sex with men or bisexual or whatever. But they went up occasionally onto the rooftop and one of them would go up first and sort of suss it out and then the other one would come up very quietly, desperately hoping that no one would be following them or watching. And you know, they had a relationship and, and they would have sex and be together and... And support each other in those moments, but they were furtive moments, mm. moments that were filled with passion potentially, but filled also with fear, uh, fear of, of what might happen if they were discovered. That's Emily Dwyer, the lead author of the International Labour Organization's report, A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, with us on Joy 94.9. And coming up, we discuss the good news stories that came out of this study. You're on World Wide Wave. Joy.org.au where our diverse communities can come together across the nation, across the globe. Joy. Joy is raising funds with an incredible money can't buy auction. On September 14, we'll be holding, that's just tomorrow, so don't miss out. We'll be holding an exclusive auction event at the incredible Victorian Pride Centre where we now sit, raising funds for Joy to ensure we're able to keep sharing the diverse voices of the LGBTQIA community. It's your chance to put a bid in for a dinner experience with Lord Mayor Sally Cap, a stunning artwork from Indigenous painter and Joy star Andy Kay, an incredible wine package featuring hard-to-find wines, plus your chance to bid on a Hyundai Kona electric vehicle. For more information, don't wait because it's on tomorrow. Register for the auction at joy.org.au now. This is Dede Utomo from Kayana Santara in Surabaya, Indonesia. Speaking on World Wide Wave. You're on the show that takes you around the globe, one queer story at a time, World Wide Wave. 
A special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcasts automatically either at joy.org.au forward slash worldwide wave or iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. The world's longest running radio show dedicated to international LGBTIQ news and current affairs. This is Worldwide Wave from Australia's rainbow radio station, Joy 94.9. Emily Dwyer from Australian LGBTIQ consultancy Edge Effect is the lead author of the first study into LGBT migrant workers, particularly in Southeast Asia. The report is titled A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket. It was recently launched by the International Labour Organization and UN Women's Agency. We heard from Emily many painful stories of discrimination, violence and life just generally being harder for LGBTIQ people. But pleasingly, the report also uncovered some good news stories. We asked Emily to tell us about some of those. In this research, there were positives. So just the fact that more than 60% of people who, who did migrate for work were able to save enough money to, to have a good enough life and to send money back was, was a huge positive. So some people were able to save enough money, for example, to, to set up a business when they went back home or they learnt skills that allowed them to do work so that when they went back to their countries of origin, they could do things they couldn't do before. And there were some lovely stories that people told about how they'd saved enough money so they could open a little business with their boyfriend, you know, and they could be successful back in Vietnam or wherever they were from, and that, you know, they really hoped that then their family would accept them or that a lesbian couple um, who had come from Myanmar told a really, really same story, really similar story about you know, coming from a part of Myanmar, not the capital city, a rural area where there's not much information about LGBTIQ people, lots of discrimination, but they had enough money, they had the skills to go back and start a business. They were hoping, they were confident, more than hoping, they were confident that they would be able to go back and make a difference in the lives of other LGBTIQ people. They'd be able to show that you can be an LGBTIQ person and you can be successful. There were also people who travelled as migrant workers because they just wanted to go to a country where they could be themselves. Be a bit freer and and maybe experience. Uh, I I imagine when you said that Thailand was one of the countries, then imagine if you come with a country that has more discrimination and less rights, going to Thailand would be quite liberating. I mean, you could go to gay bars, you could, you know, experience um, uh, LGBT community. Yeah, it's yes and no is is how I'd answer that, I guess. Mm-hmm. that I mean, there were certainly situations like that, but I think it wasn't always good and for a couple of reasons. And one of those is that um, often migrant workers who are LGBTIQ people are cut off from the LGBTIQ community in the country where they're going to. Right? So maybe they're, firstly, they're, they're sort of isolated because they're working and maybe their, their work conditions mean that they can't get out to meet other people, partly because they may not speak the same language, partly because they might be concerned about who's going to find out about that they're an LGBTIQ person. Yeah, you might only have Sunday off, uh, maybe Sunday afternoon. Um, and s- while some people did connect a little bit into local communities you know, and use Blued or, or other apps, for example, to make, to make connections... Um, coming from a different culture, coming speaking a different language, being a migrant worker, um, were often barriers. I mean, mi- migrant workers, regardless of their sexuality or gender identity, you know, are often discriminated against because you now they're doing low-paid jobs. They might be considered, you know, 
disposable people in many situations. Now, here's do work that we don't want to do. So there's all, all kinds of reasons why you know, they, LGBTIQ migrant workers are maybe cut off from other aspects of the LGBTIQ community. So Edge Effect has completed this report. You've got some recommendations. What, what are you seeking to come from this? And I guess what happens now? So this, I mean, the, the work does belong to the ILO. And so as an organisation in Southeast Asia through something called the Safe and Fair Program, they do work um, with, uh, with governments, with employers, with unions to try to smooth the way for migrant workers to make sure that their experiences are ones which are non-discriminatory, where, where they have an opportunity to, to achieve their goals. They also work with, with governments to try to make sure that going into labour migration is, is actually a genuine choice, that people don't feel they have to do it in order to progress as, as, as human beings. So I think a lot of what the ILO is going to do now is, is sort of thinking about regionally in terms of policy in, in Southeast Asia, what can be done to support migrant workers who are moving from one country to another. It's difficult because there are countries in the region where you know, there, there remain laws on the books that criminalise aspects of our lives and there's lots of sort of cultural, societal stigma. Um, so it's a, within the ASEAN region, it's a very slow conversation often. Mm. Um, but I think part of part of pushing that conversation forward is making sure that LGBTIQ civil society organisations are talking to um, you know, governments, are talking to the ILO, are talking to migrant worker resource centres, so that we're getting a bit more more of discussion going about what those needs are that that people have and and how they can be met. The report is titled A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, The Experiences of Migrant Workers with Diverse Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity and Expression in Southeast Asia. The lead author from Edge Effect is Emily Dwyer. Emily, thank you so much for popping in and seeing us here on Worldwide Wave. Thanks, Matt. And we've just posted a uh, link to that report on our Facebook page, Facebook slash W3Joy. Um Change takes time, yes. but uh, certainly these kinds of reports which have data, which have stories and experiences are quite good at uh, influencing, especially if you've got to go to governments and, and big bureaucracies to try and make some changes like immigration or, or border protection type places. Absolutely. Yeah, it was good to hear some, you know, there are some of those stories about re immersing themselves or coming back home being able to set themselves up mm. that is positive but i think on the darker side is that just that theme that runs through all of this is that vulnerability and isolation that you know you think okay as you said you know, as she sorry emily said um they can um, of course um might seem like they're going to be able to take advantage of living in a country we consider relatively open like Thailand, but it's just not that simple. You know, mm -hmm. there's language barriers, discrimination by Thais towards migrants, um, and, um, you know, they don't have the time or, you know, the ability to um, or finances to engage in the local uh, LGBT community. So, um, yes, complex. Complex. Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform to World Wide Wave. Hi, this is Dr. Joseph Goh from Monash University, Malaysia on the World Wide Wave. 
Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like World Wide Wave on Facebook now. Huge thank you to our guest tonight, Emily Dwyer, Director of Edge Effect and lead author of the project, A Very Beautiful But Heavy Jacket, The Experience of Migrant Workers with Diverse Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity and Expression in Southeast Asia. You can read the full report at ILO.org, plus we've posted a link on our Facebook page. And thank you to all those who have uh, interacted with us on social media, Facebook, Barbara, Richard, Young Fowl, Liz and a heap more. Um, and that is on W3Joy on Facebook. And our fabulous behind-the-scenes team, our podcaster Peter and social media master Dean. We'll be back next week with more World Wide Wave. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.